Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello, good afternoon. Yes, indeed. Welcome. It's Sam Sethi. How are you? Uh, I'm today... uh yeah, I'm joined today by Dan Scarf. Hey, Sam. How are you? Very well indeed. How are you? I'm good. Now, did I get the surname right? Just checking. Scarf, straight, simple. But it's got an E on the end. I know, it's just confusing. <laughs> anyway, welcome on board, Dan. Thank you. Um, Dan, for those who don't know you, why don't you give us what you're doing today and who you work for? So I set up a business which is now called New Signature. Um, so I run the UK solutions team uh, and I've now got a new role trying to export some of the goodness that we've been doing here in the UK around the rest of the global New Signature business. So New Signature is what? Is it is a solution provider for cloud services? Is that a, a short, simple way of providing it, putting it? We help enterprises move to the public cloud and specifically Microsoft's cloud. So. Yeah, you, you are, what, in 2014, you were Microsoft's um, Solution Cloud Expert of the Year. Yeah, well, UK Partner of the Year. Yes. That's the correct word. Uh, and you can only win it once, unfortunately, but we got finalists this year, so second <laughs> place is still none too shabby. No, they, they, they want to give you it, but they can't. Uh, well, exactly. Um, also, you did a, uh, you're a certified Azure specialist as well, aren't you? I was looking on your LinkedIn profile. So we were, I think, the first partner in the world authorised and accredited by Microsoft to provide managed services on top of Azure, so to help organisations run their cloud environment once we've helped them to build it. Okay, so for those who don't know, let's take a step back. What is the cloud first? Let's start with that. Let's try and define what the cloud is. Well, it's one of the most abused terms in the history of IT. more than AI? Well, even more than AI. It depends what you're trying to sell to someone as to what your (laughs) definition of cloud is, ultimately. It's fluffy and white, That's all you need to know. Exactly. But I mean, when we talk about cloud, we talk specifically about public cloud and we talk specifically about hyperscale cloud because that's, you know, ultimately what's different from perhaps the way that IT services have been delivered before. And, you know, there are a very small number of uh, hyperscale cloud providers, you know, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and then sort of the next tier down. So we talk about it in terms of this this global scale and then all of the rest of the stuff that you get with the the cloud. So before we get into what hyper scale is yes because that's another term yes um the cloud itself is fundamentally what managed services for uh, it enterprises it's all about you know how can we take capabilities and capacity that we delivered through a traditional model be that on-premises or with a traditional hosting company and how can we now transform that into a model within somebody else's data center where we can then start to get business value from it so from a, a business perspective that is what we talk about and there's a whole consumer cloud as well and that's you know another whole question and you know not something we're going to particularly be dwelling on today uh, but from an enterprise perspective is what do i do today and then how can i transform that into this new services world where i can now consume all of this stuff rather than having to run it myself. Okay, so why, why, if I'm the IT director, do I want to outsource all my services, server capability, to a third party? I mean, there's a few different reasons for that. I mean, it's kind of interesting. It goes back to this um, battle that's been running between, you know, the business and IT for many, many years. And it's something which is, you know, well publicised and well talked about in terms of, you know, how do you start to help engender a different relationship between business and IT and historically the the role of IT has been to keep the lights on and to do so as cost effectively as is possible and right. you know that was their remit make sure the thing stays up and try and do it as quickly and as cheaply as possible as we move into this new digital world actually now the business are demanding or should be demanding for far more of their IT department you know how can you help us to differentiate in our market how can you help us to bring these new product services whatever they might be to market and that requires 
requires the IT department to be doing something different and not be focusing on, you know, the, the plumbing, if you like, because that's not differentiating. How can you actually now use somebody else's plumbing to build a differentiated service in market? And that's, you know, the cloud pitch, if you like, and that's why lots of organisations are starting to look at it and think, actually, how can this help us differentiate in our market? Yeah, I guess we've moved up the technology escalator. Managing and running services isn't core to the business that you're running in effect correct and the other thing that's really interesting about this move you know again specifically to public cloud is the range of services that these hyperscalers can provide to you this is not just about doing what you used to do historically better i mean yes it can do that but also it's how can we get access to all of these new services all of this new technology all of this innovation but in a packaged way. So I'm not having to create all of this myself. I've now almost effectively got, you know, a box of Lego and I can now, you know, assemble that Lego however I like to create this outcome for my customers. And that's something that's, that's new. I mean, we talk about AI, we talk about all these things. They're almost now in a box that you can now just consume as a service, turn it into a product that you can then resell. And that's how you can really get the best use out of technology these days. Okay. So if, 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 if as a startup entrepreneur, this when I was doing it in Web One that I world, you know, I think you were still at school by then. <laughs> <laughs> he is, he's, a, he's lovely and young. How old are you these days? I've lost track. Uh, I turned thirty nine on Sunday. So. Yeah, he's still lovely and young. <laughs> um, but in the Web One world, I remember pitching for money, and half the money we were pitching for was just to buy servers. Yep, it was crazy. You know, so how how are you going to run this business web business? Well, we're going to have to go to Dell or Gateway or whoever and get some servers and then we're going to have to go and get an IT guy who runs those servers for us. So now it's so so simple. I mean, run up a, 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 an AWS, I'm, I'm not an Azure uh, <laughs> expert, as you can tell, I use AWS, but we'll, we'll get into why and the pros and cons later. But, you know, you spin up one or you go to DigitalOcean or somebody like that and you can just do it really quickly. Um, and the cost is metering now, isn't that's I, I guess that, for me, is great because it's pennies per data minutes and or whatever that you're using so it's very measurable and that's what's really interesting is that you know startups know no different from this i mean startups in the web.1 world were still in the yeah. the traditional model but you know startups for the last five to six years this is the only model that they have ever known i mean the idea of going and buying servers is just madness yeah. to them um but what we're now starting to see is that the enterprise is now waking up to this as well and actually going well the fact that we are the market leader in pick an industry, whatever it might be, you know, technology is no respecter of tradition. The fact that you are the number one today means nothing. Actually, somebody else can come along and start to say, well, we're going to offer a differentiated service, you know, with technology baked into it. I mean, we're seeing a huge amount of it in uh, financial services at the moment. And, you know, those guys know nothing other than cloud. So how can the enterprises now start to embrace some of that mentality and some of those operating models that these startups run and actually use them to power their own infrastructure and their own IT services? Okay. So I can see the value proposition, and clearly everyone else is beginning to see it. Um, so I guess now what we are beginning to see is three or four, you call them hyperscalers? Hyperscalers, <clears throat> yeah. Is that the Google, Microsoft, Amazon Web Services? Yeah, and you'd you know, potentially include IBM and Oracle and um, 
Alibaba is that kind of next tier down, but you're talking a very, very short list of companies that have got, frankly, the billions and billions of pounds or dollars to invest in creating these global infrastructures. And you know, bizarrely, cloud is almost like the most perfect form of capitalism. You know, if you put enough money to work and you centralize that money most effectively in these, you know, software-defined, completely automated, hyperscale services, that's when you actually start to see, first of all, the efficiency that can drive these cost savings that enterprise um desire but also you know the investment in r&d because it's not just about servers i mean that's easy it's all about the ai and all the value-added services that you can bring it's on the layered top of it. technologies on top correct and again there's only a, a very small number of companies that can invest the billions of pounds into that r&d to then package it up and make it available for everyone to consume as a service okay so as I said about the technology escalator, so when I when I go and look at uh, Microsoft, IBM, for example, all of them, pretty much, let's say all of them right now, yep. you know, they're all just delivering blockchain in a box, yep. just came out, AI in a box. Yep. Um, but there's, there's a couple of terms that I'd like you to try and help me understand. One's serverless. Yes. But it's in a server. Yes. Uh, and, and I'm going to get it totally wrong, but Kubernetes. Yes, or Kubernetes, as I was uh, informed a few weeks ago by a Greek scholar. Most people call it Kubernetes, but okay. apparently technically it's Kubernetes. Um, so these are this is interesting. So I mean, this is all about how do you actually deploy software onto these cloud environments, and it goes back to we'll probably come back to a bit later about you know the, the history of some of the hyperscalers and, and where they came from, and this notion of you know are we deploying virtual servers infrastructure as a service, which is quite closely analogous to what these organisations were doing on premises before. So that's kind of the, the first box. And then you've got this platform as a service box, which is more this, how do I take this innovation in a box and then just you know use it to create my services? So platform as a service is a sort of a generic concept. Um, but things like serverless then are a, a kind of platform service. So now rather than having to have my own server in the cloud with my own code running on it, I can effectively just have execution of code as a service. And that's what serverless is. Okay. So, so we now have this model where rather than having to pay for a certain number of servers to sit there, we can just say, well, how many web pages do we want to render for a customer or how many messages do we have flowing through our system? And now all your pricing model is based at that atomic level rather than uh, the, the server level, effectively. So oh, that's, nice. Okay. No, kind of, that's nice and clear. I understand that now. So that's that's one model, and that's that's serverless. Um, there's a model in between infrastructure and, and serverless, though, which is containers. Uh, and that's what Kubernetes kind Kubernetes, whatever you want to call it, is called. And that is all about how can we take blocks which are smaller than virtual servers, but still not quite at the actual atomic code level, and then how can we then create a platform to run those containers? So some of the, the audience might have heard of things like Docker, for instance. So Docker is the name of a container that you orchestrate with something like Kubernetes. So it's all quite technical and complicated, but it's all about how do you deliver code to a user effectively. Right, and w- w- what's the benefit if there is, uh, and there must be one, between a full infrastructure and a Kubernetes? <laughs> so it's all about the level of control that you have of the infrastructure. If you're running virtual servers, you control absolutely everything. You can tweak every knob and dial and optimise it as much as you possibly, you know, could ever desire but you then have full control and full responsibility as well therefore you're in charge of making sure that that server is patched and kept up to date and fed and watered so with control comes responsibility things like um, serverless is the complete other end of the spectrum where you know all you can do is give it code and give it some basic instruction as to how to execute
execute that code, but you have no real ability to, to tweak the dials too much. There's also, you know, perhaps a certain perception that I'm, I might be locking myself into a particular cloud vendor. So you look at, you know, AWS Lambda or Azure Functions, for instance, if I deploy onto them, to some extent, I'm now locking myself into that cloud. And yep. again, that's another conversation. We to will dissect. be coming to that conversation, don't um, worry. You know, this, this whole lock-in challenge. Um, so with, with serverless, you're towards the, the lock-in end of the spectrum. With Kubernetes in the middle, again, you're kind of in a somewhere in between the two where, you know, we're not as locked in because, you know, most of the major clouds now support Kubernetes. So I can now put something into into a Docker container and then I can move it around between Kubernetes clusters across different clouds. So <laughs> in theory, realizing the dream of multi-cloud, but again, that's another thing that I want to come back to. We that's a, you're another you're whole jumping the of, gun, young man. <laughs> a whole kettle of fish to talk about. Um, but, you know, Kubernetes is somewhere in between, so it's a little bit easier to move things around between clouds and you have some of the control, but, you know, some of the uh, automation as well. Okay, let's go back to your own company, New Signature. Yes. Um, based in Windsor so well i mean we started out as dotnet solutions actually we had our 15th anniversary uh, last month so it's been a been a fun fun ride um so the name is a bit of a clue in terms of where we started out so it was all around dotnet development and you know dotnet had just come out at the time and we kind of went all in with microsoft at 15 it wasn't a bad decision well i mean interestingly there have been ups and downs on that journey as i'm sure you can uh, you can attest <laughs> to um yeah microsoft went through a bit of a rough patch i think it's fair to say and and, you know, we, we did kind of... We don't talk them. about the Barmer days. Well, we don't, but any, everything's all rosy now, so... But, I mean, the company did well. I mean, we had our first major win, which was a, a blessing and a curse. It was a subprime mortgage lender. So we made tremendous amounts of money helping them to build out all of these loan and mortgage origination <laughs> systems, which is kind of ironic. Uh, but then, you know, one day the, the, the chairs stopped and literally overnight just the whole thing just stopped. And wow. that was like a huge chunk of our business. And all of a sudden to get that tap switched off, you know, we were a couple of weeks away from bankruptcy in 2008. I mean, it was very for a few. And how many people were in the company at the time? We were about probably about 15 people at yeah. that time. So I mean, it was a reasonable sized firm. I mean, still still not massive, but it was a, a good sized business. Um, but then, by complete chance, blind luck being in the right place at the right time, you know how these things work, um, got invited out to Redmond to sort of Microsoft shindig out there and have all the product groups coming, peddling their latest wares and you should be doing something with SharePoint, you should be doing something with this, you should be doing something with that. SharePoint, oh my lord. Uh, still going strong. Is it? Oh, absolutely, yeah, SharePoint oh. Online. Um, but anyway, we had this this group come and talk to us that was the, the Red Dog group and it was literally a, just a group of a few people just going, well, Amazon's doing something kind of interesting, maybe we should be looking in this space as well. Um, um, anyway, cut a long story short, came back, said, right, we're betting the whole company on Red Dog. And everyone was like, I'm sorry, what? Come again? I was like, cloud, honestly, it's the future. And this was, what, 2008? Um, and obviously, we were in the right place at the right time because, you know, Red Dog became Windows Azure, became Microsoft Azure, and, you know, the, the rest is kind of, of, of history. But it was, it was good fun. We had two, uh, well, one round of venture capital along the way. So um, my brother, who I started the company with. Tim. Hello, Tim. Tim. Yes, if Tim, you're listening. Hey, Tim. Um, he decided he wanted to go and do... The, you sold him to Microsoft, didn't you? Uh, through a torturous route, yeah. He did a university degree, did some masters, did his doctorate. Um, so he got the brains. I got what was left. You got the 
looks. Go on, you can say it. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, he's now back at, at Microsoft. Um, so we had a guy called Paul um, came in, so he uh, took over as UK MD, and he'd done a number of these companies before. And you know, it's kind of interesting when you're an entrepreneur, you know, you can get it to a certain point, and then you have to think, well, actually, it's time now to start to bring in some people that have done this before. Yeah. Like adult supervision, as I sometimes refer well, to. Well, look, it was good enough for Google with Eric Schmidt. It was good enough for you. Well, exactly. Um, and we were, you know, incredibly successful after that. We went into different parts of the Microsoft Cloud, so into sort of Office 365 and, and managed services and a few other things. Um, and then three odd years ago, um, we met the new signature guys, and it was kind of interesting. They're backed by an organization called Columbia Capital, and their vision was how can we create the world's number one pure play Microsoft Cloud Solutions provider. Um, and we just won the Partner of the Year award at that time. Handy. Handy, yeah. Well, that's a, that was basically their investment strategy. Let's go and buy all the partners of the year around the world. I mean, it's logical enough. Um, and we became part of this global group. And it's, you know, it's really, really fun now because you know, everything is on a, a bigger scale. You sleep at night now? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Well, I have two <laughs> young daughters now, so oh, well, that, that you, you might sleep over it a different I, way. I, I was thinking, yeah, keeping awake and worrying about how you pay your staff might be the more worrying one. Well, exactly. So all of that, that went away. Um, and, you know, kind of fast forward to where we are now, which is, um, you know, working with, you know, some amazing, amazing customers doing, you know, these amazing transformation projects all kind of backed by technology. And Can you name any of the clients that you've got? Oh, Virgin Atlantic is a big customer of ours. We've just done a, a big data platform for them, which is, is quite fun. Lots of companies in the security services that I uh, can't talk quite so much about. Um, Shh, MI5. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, construction's quite a big area for us. So uh, Wilmot Dixon is one of our flagship customers in that space. Um, who else have we done work with? Talk Talk's a customer of ours. So, I mean, a whole variety across a whole number of different sectors, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, the, the same kind of ideas and methodologies, but how can you acry- apply those across different businesses? Okay, so... Um I guess you're right. That is a massive project to take something that's internal, move it externally, manage it and run it and the whole thing and the architecture. So, I mean, is this a case of you've built up these skills over time or is it fairly quick learning to go into the Azure market? You said you, you know, were the first company worldwide to get accredited. How long did that take? Oh, I mean, that particular accreditation was specifically around our managed services, and okay. it was a, a three or four months it took us to get that. But in terms of, you know, general Azure know-how, I mean, it's a phenomenally big platform. That's half the challenge, and everything that Microsoft do now has some Azure twinge to it. You know, it's their big bet. You know, it covers pretty well, much that a huge Microsoft chunk. is Azure, really, isn't it? Is, is that its number one revenue stream now, would you say? Or is window licenses still bigger? I mean, the cloud in general is overtaking their traditional business. I mean, Microsoft talk about three clouds that they have. They have their Microsoft 365 cloud, which is Windows 10 and Office 365 and all the workplace collaboration productivity type tools. Uh, then there's Azure, which is the, the platform for infrastructure and applications. And then there's Dynamics 365, which is their platform for customer relationship management, HR, HR Salesforce automation, ERP type stuff. So Microsoft talk about these three clouds that, that they operate. And do you, as New Signature, operate in all three as well? Yep. Correct. So we have different capabilities and different geographies, um, but as a company, yes, we support all three of those clouds. Okay. So, I mean, is this really... Did it all come about when Satya Nadale um, joined, or was this a Barmer thing at the end of his reign? 
Well, interestingly, I mean, Barmer was the one just before he left that said, you know, we're all in on cloud. I mean, I, I still remember it well, Washington State University. So, I mean, he was the guy that so said... So was it cloud, 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 rather than developer, developer, developer? It was, yes, it moved on. So, I mean, Barmer absolutely sowed these seeds before he left. Okay. And Nadella, before he was CEO, was head of cloud and enterprise, which was the part of my... Handy. Did all of this stuff. Um, so he kind of stepped up and really just, you know, solidified that vision that actually is all about the, the cloud services, you know, the intelligent cloud and the intelligent edge you know that's kind of how he thought about the world and you know of course the cloud is the the linchpin behind all of that so it's not to say that these other things that microsoft used to do aren't important they're still absolutely important but you know they're part of this grand division of intelligent cloud intelligent edge now it's funny larry ellison at oracle and scott mcneely at sun must be laughing because they were talking about that 10 years before yeah i mean we say all of this stuff is cyclical i mean the, the cloud is the modern day mainframe right i right. mean you're renting access to a centralized you know um, piece of equipment and your your dumb terminals as they were now are these new internet connected devices today so it's the same thing just a, a different wave of technology in a different yeah. way of achieving it. Uh, it's, we always, I always say, find the bottleneck in the network, yep. and then you'll, you'll find that that's where the process moves. So when network, the, the internet or broadband connections were slow, you had local processors, yep. and now it's fast, it's gone back up top. Strangely, with the Alexas and Google Home um, devices, they're moving it back to the, to the device now. As I say, it, it goes around, and you're absolutely right, it's where that bottleneck is, where does it make most sense to do that processing? You know, why do I want to rent a £1,000 a month expensive cloud server to do something when, you know, it doesn't matter if it, it fails from now, now and again, I'll just buy a, a cheap device at the edge to do some of that processing for me. That's a much more cost-effective way of doing it. So it's just, yeah, how can we get the data around? Where is the cheapest, the most optimal place to do the compute? And that might be in the cloud, it might be in the edge, but we've now got this model where we can choose on an application-by-application application basis where it makes, makes sense to run it. Yeah, I mean, IoT is certainly going to have a lot of edge computing that's the new PC, in effect, in your home, isn't it? It's, it's that interface. It may be a blind interface, as in it hasn't got a screen, but, but it is an interface. And um, there's some really sophisticated technology that you can put in there. I mean, you look at all of these smart cameras that are out at the moment, these smart security systems. With facial recognition. All of that facial recognition is being done on the device, but it's all marshaled from the cloud. And, you know, those machine learning models are being pushed down onto the device from the cloud, but the actual facial analysis is happening within that device at the edge. Nice. Okay, so uh, Satya came in. I mean, I, I as an ex-Microsoftier, was quite yeah. amazed that um, recent announcements, they've added Linux uh, distro to the new version of Windows. Yep. I mean, he's gone totally open source, hasn't he? He wants to meet the customers where they are. Right. And that's, I think, again, the, the crucial difference. It's not about an organisation you know, dictating to people, this is the best way that you should do things. It's an organisation having a point of view that says, you know, we think there are merits in doing X, Y, and Z. And you come, you choose the technology that you want to deploy onto, you choose the methodologies, we'll just provide that base platform to, to run it for you. Uh, beyond that, you know, you're in complete control. And you're right, I mean, the open source thing is just con completely completely on its head, whereas now Microsoft is the largest contributor to open source software in the world. And, and they, bought Git, 
they bought GitHub. Who knew they were ever going to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a different organisation. There's a, a new humbleness that we feel, you know, especially as partners, this uh, learn-it-all mentality rather than know-it-all mentality. Oh, you know, nice, this, I like that. Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's what he's driven. I mean, I don't know whether you've, you've read his book, um, but it's quite... <laughs> no, I'm, 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 is it worth it? Oh, 100%. It's okay. The, the power, I can't remember who, you know, the famous quote of, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, you know, that's what he's really embodied inside Microsoft is a, a set of behaviours, a set of characteristics. And, you know, it's just a, a complete end-to-end reboot of an organisation that size. When you get culture right, the culture attracts the right people, people exhibit the right behaviours, you have a successful business. And it's a, a textbook masterclass in how you can actually use culture as a, a singularity to affect change on what is, you know, a biblical scale in our world's most valuable company. Yeah, I was, I was talking to Hugh McLeod, who does the famous cartoons. I don't know if you know Hugh. Yes, of course, yeah. <clears throat> so I was, I was interviewing him yesterday, and uh, we we were just talking about the very same thing. It, it, it's his job with those cartoons is to fundamentally go in and find the culture. And he did the famous one for Microsoft, Microsoft, make the change or go home. Yes, and that's again what they're they're all about is you know how can Microsoft and partners empower customers to be successful and that's again the thing that's quite different from Microsoft's approach to some of the other vendors in success for us looks like successful customers success for us doesn't necessarily look like us being successful that's just a happy byproduct. <laughs> okay, so you've brought it up, so we should talk about it. The the other providers, Google, Amazon Web Services. I mean, we can talk about Oracle and others if we want to, but fundamentally. Um, what is the difference between these three platforms? It sounds to me like they've all pretty much got the same capabilities. They've all got the same offerings. They're all offering what you call platform in a box earlier. And, and you know, so, you know, you want to run a blockchain. There you go. You want to run a AI instant. There you go. Thank you very much. You want to run whatever. Yeah. So what's the difference, if anything, between them then? Well, I mean, the, the title of the show is, is The Cloud Wars, yes. right? And, you know, it is a, a war. It is a, a battleground now between a, a very small number of very large companies in this market. And it's it's interesting, really, to hear their story because that helps understand sort of where they, they've come from and, and where they're, they're heading to. And, you know, we talk about these these waves of, of the war and, you know, the, the first wave of, of the cloud wars was very much infrastructure focused. And funny enough, I've, I remember being at one of the software design reviews where Red Dog, as it was at the time, came out and they had, we had this whole debate about should we go all in on platform and applications and all the stuff that, that you talk about now or should we support infrastructure? And there was a whole bunch of us there that just said, you know, infrastructure is dead. You know, forget infrastructure. It's so boring. You know, it's, uh, what, what's the point? You know, just go straight for platform because that's where all the innovation occurs. That's where we can start to create these applications and use all of these different services, this platform world. Um, and you know, Microsoft you know, believed us. And I'm sure it wasn't just us. I'm sure it was like that. That was their vision too. But yeah. as is often the case with Microsoft, unfortunately, they were eight or nine years too early and so you know as you're launched as a platform as a service only um capability you could take net code at the time and you could then turn it into a cloud application was the, the basic pitch of azure um and developers loved it so anyone writing new things could now start to use all these capabilities the world is great Amazon took a completely different route, which was actually we're just going to, you know, to a certain extent, try and replicate what organisations are doing on-premises today, but we're going to do it at a much grander scale. We're going to 
chuck in a whole bunch of, of automation um, and and that was their place so in, you know the first wave of, of the cloud wars was Amazon's infrastructure service versus Microsoft's platform service and Google went the same route so Google went the Microsoft model and let's just build platform capabilities um, cut a long story short Amazon was the clear 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 winner in the first wave of the cloud wars because right. it was just too hard for organizations to you know, rebuild all of their their applications I mean you're talking about you know 10 15 20 years worth of, of yeah, technical, legacy now. legacy yeah. technical debt and it's great to come along and say right hooray we can now rebuild all these applications we can use all these cool things and the enterprise are like oh that's really interesting but you know no yeah, know, <laughs> yeah. My, my business runs on this stuff right now and actually I just want to kind of take it like it is I can tweak it a bit but I just want to kind of leave it as yeah, it the is. person who originally coded it is now dead or we don't know where they are or whatever correct so we'll pick Amazon and, and Amazon was was the clear winner um, Microsoft of course then said well actually we can support infrastructure as well so they did a, a huge amount of investment to basically match the capabilities that Amazon had on the, the infrastructure side um, which they have now you know 100% done there is no difference whatsoever f- from an infrastructure perspective between Amazon and Azure for all intents and purposes I mean there's a few differences at the edge uh, and the same with Google so you know Google also then brought out their, their infrastructure platform as well so now we've got you know broadly uh, comparative services across all of the three cloud providers at this kind of basic infrastructure and storage level now it becomes the, the interesting bit so you know what you might define as the, the second wave of, of cloud okay where you know everything's been reset and this has only been the last kind of three years or so that this has happened where you know on a, a, a features and, and capability standpoint you know the, the basic level there's not a huge amount in it between the cloud providers now it's all about what are the the value added services that we can now start to uh, offer over the top of it and that's where the the real investments have been made this is where the cloud providers starting to kind of stake out their their part of the market where they think they can add the most value Um, Google obviously has been you know very heavily focused around the whole data space so you know that's their pitch you know you want to take this you know ungodly amounts of, of data and you want to do this amazing you know insight and an analysis onto it you know we think we have a good story around well, they, it they're fundamentally doing what amazon's doing they're saying our core is search yep we're now going to help you search manage and find the golden nuggets in your data i guess yep, absolutely and i yeah. guess with deep mind they've got a, a very good ai division as well that goes with it so tensorflow i think is their platform for Correct. ai kubernetes is their thing as well so <coughs> right you know, so they've got some smart people doing smart things yep so right. i mean google's doing a great job at the moment um, then you've got Amazon, who are you know still you know doing a huge amount of business in the infrastructure space. They've got into this container space as well. Although, interestingly, you know Amazon's almost become the new Microsoft in terms of you know, kind of it's our way or the highway. You know we define this market, we get to set the rules. You know Amazon only recently embraced Kubernetes, for instance, because they had their own container management thing. It's just like, well, of course you want to use our one because we're Amazon and you have to use it. Um, so, you know, they're, they're continuing to do their thing. Again, what's really interesting in the, the market at the moment, going back to, to open source, is a lot of what Amazon is doing is taking open source technology and productizing it and turning it into a service. Right, and, and now not contributing back from Not contributing heard. back. So the open source community is... Um, slightly upset with, with yeah, to some degree with well, Amazon. we've got Jeff Barr, who's their chief uh, evangelist, coming ah, on the show shortly. so we'll ask him about that. I might get you in, you can come and ask him yourself. Well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> 
Now, of course, you know, they're doing a huge amount of investment into this as well. They're not just taking other people's stuff and, and delivering it. They're, they're productizing it and they're making it hyperscale compatible. And, you know, they're doing some phenomenal work uh, in, in that space. So, you know, Amazon continue to be like a, a very capable platform, you know, a, a big threat for, for Microsoft. And then you've got Microsoft in the middle that's kind of doing all of the various different things. So again, this new open Microsoft where we're going to support the standards like Kubernetes where they become invo- uh, available, but also we're going to continue to invest in our own first-party products because that's what Microsoft does, right? Is they create products that make other people's lives easier. They're all now being turned into cloud services. So you look at things like Azure DevOps, for instance, that's an area where we're investing quite heavily at the moment, which is all around this application lifecycle management. You know, how do we build deploy and operate these you know large yeah, just manage them yeah yeah effectively but managing the whole life cycle right the way through from someone inside the business has a brilliant idea for a new thing that they want to, to build right the way through to a user is actually using that application a few months later and that's you know where, where microsoft is seeking to differentiate itself is we can actually now do a huge amount of this out of the box using predefined pre-integrated pre-standard templates and methodologies and then you mr customer can now use those to create your own application so obviously i'm highly biased as you can imagine but <laughs> I, you know, I hadn't I, noticed <laughs> yeah they they have got yeah a very nice story but the other cloud providers got you know great stories as well you know there will be no winner in the cloud wars other than your traditional hosting businesses unfortunately that is going to really struggle to keep up with the, the innovation that the hyperscalers are doing in the the on-premises environments not that they're really losers because it's just a, a different capability that internal it are now able to offer to their business so is the is the challenge now to get companies to build their applications on these platforms that's is it going down to the in the war that you define is it a case of you know market share is it a case of revenue generation or is there enough of a pie to go around for all of them there's absolutely enough of a pie to go around for all of them so none of the hyperscalers will lose they will just grab a certain amount of the the market each i'm just just reading microsoft's cloud grew 73 percent last year yep I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's in, absolutely insane. Now, obviously, you yeah. can't keep up that growth rate because every time the number gets bigger. But still, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal growth. And we're really only just getting started. I mean, this is the bit that's most interesting about this. Everyone talks about, you know, this, this cloud that, that's been and gone. For the enterprise segment, it really is just beginning. You know, we're maybe 5 to 10% into the journey. So there's still, you know, a phenomenal amount. To is that for. just, are you defining 5 to 10% of enterprise Adoption, or are you defining five ten percent as in technologies that will come out of the cloud? Sorry, Which- five, if you look at your typical enterprise in terms of all of the things that that enterprise has to do, all of the applications that they run, all of the various different things that they do across all of the companies in the world, probably five to ten percent of things have been moved into the public okay. cloud. So, so far. there's a lot of growth to come into the cloud in that. Just the basic application stuff. Yeah, just the the real noddy stuff. Never mind all the the new stuff that you might want to produce. Now, obviously, not everything is going to move into the public cloud because there's a whole bunch of reasons why you might not want to run stuff. Such as? Such as... 
Um, oh, cracking. Um, there are certain very, very high security workloads, for instance, that just don't make sense to. There are certain workloads where we need you know, phenomenally low latency between two particular different things. And actually, it makes sense. You know, we can fix a lot of things, but physics isn't one of them, unfortunately. Right. And yes. you know, Speed of light is a limiting yeah. thing. Exactly. Um, and, you know, there will always you know, potentially be some workloads where actually taking advantage of the cloud's variability is not helpful and actually you know to invest in hardware in some circumstances and some workloads can make sense but it will be you know an increasingly shrinking number i mean data sovereignty always used to be a big one um but that one is being solved largely now or is in the process of being solved um you know most of the hyperscalers now have got data centers in you know many many geographies around the world define data sovereignty because i think i know what it means but can you define it for me so data sovereignty would either be a, a legislative or a compliance or some reason you know dictated to an organization why data has to stay within a particular geography okay so and that's becoming more common isn't it countries are defining that they want data of their citizens within the geographic location yep Correct, yeah, and I mean, a lot of this is, is historic regulation as well. I mean, if you look, certainly in defence and healthcare and financial services, there always was you know, a lot of requirement around that, which in the old hosting world was no problem because data centres all over the place, but in cloud it, it used to cause a problem, but, but less so now. But you're right, increasingly governments are starting to, to dictate that as well. Germany is, you know, has especially protective um, requirements and legislation around that to the point where Microsoft actually had to get somebody else to operate their data centers because they weren't allowed to be the data controller inside Germany. Um, same with China. China is run by another organization because Microsoft can't technically own the data. It's interesting because Google yesterday announced that they've moved their second uh what was it? Google Cloud launches its second region in Japan, so not even China. They're popping up all over the place. Microsoft announced one in, in Africa. They were the first hyperscaler to get down into into Africa. Um, just all over the place. Every every other month, there's you know another launch. And again, it's mind-boggling because you're talking hundreds of millions of pounds here. This is not just like I'm going to go and stick a few servers in a yeah. rack somewhere. This is like a significant investment that one of these organisations has made into that particular country uh, in the you know, hundreds of millions of pounds. So... so um so one of the things that we talked about offline beforehand was in these cloud wars is is some of the third party well known names now are reconsidering their cloud provider i guess um so we talk about apple which i found very strange when i read the story is a massive aws client for example so i i had this vision that Apple would just have its own servers and cloud solution, but it doesn't. Right now, they don't have as big as they, I think, have ambitions to go. So, I mean, Apple is a great example of somebody that's trying to wean themselves off other people's cloud services and invest in their own, because I think Apple has realised that just being a hardware company doesn't cut it anymore. You know, people are not going to continue to spend thousand dollars fifteen hundred dollars you know pick a silly number that these things now cost um you know every couple of years to replace their their device so they need to start to move into this services world and as we talk about services obviously you need infrastructure data center clouds to support that so you know apple is a good example um We've seen, um, you know, other organisations, you know, start to detach themselves. So organisations like Dropbox, for instance, that again have come off AWS, start to build their own environment. 
but there are some that don't. So Netflix, again, is the poster child. AWS, you know, we're never going to leave AWS, which still amazes me, considering... Yeah, considering they're a competitor on... If you if we're, if we're labelling things wars, um, they're on the content war. You know, films, music, everything. Yeah, I mean, Amazon are getting into all kinds of different industries, as are Google. I mean, Google obviously have YouTube, so you're starting to see these, these conflicts coming up kind of all over the place, really. Well, I mean, uh, I think Amazon Web Services made $7.7 billion last quarter in profit. The, a huge chunk of Amazon Corp's profit. Yes. Well, I mean, but the, the big rumour now going around the industry is that uh, AWS will be floated off or IPO'd fundamentally um, and made into a separate company, partly because there's shareholder value to be made, uh, partly because I'm sure the employees of AWS will be extremely happy to have another 100 billionaires added to the Silicon Valley uh, highway, you know. Um, but lastly, I think it's the competitive nature of, um, as you said, you know, if Netflix is on uh, AWS but they're competing with Amazon over Prime, um, well, if AWS becomes an independent fundamental company, then that becomes less of an issue, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, retail is the, the perfect example of this. I mean, you look at all of the big retailers around the world are choosing Azure and, and GCP because there's no GCP? way... GCP? Oh, Google Cloud Platform. Thank you. Just uh, checking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because they see it as you know, a huge competitive threat and they don't want to be lining the the pockets of, uh, of their competitors. But, you know, retail's just one example. I mean, you're starting to see it in financial services. You know, as soon as Amazon talks about creating a bank, then all the financial services companies get upset and go, well, should we be... I think the big one was pharmacy the last one pharma yeah i mean don't get me wrong i love amazon like they are the world's greatest company in terms of you know how can you just take over entire industries and just say we're going to apply technology to that industry and and do it far better um but i wouldn't want to be on the the receiving end of that as a as a competitor of them no no i mean i think the share price of all the pharma companies just dropped through the floor when they said they were going to do online delivery of prescription-based drugs. Again, it's how can you apply technology to solve a, a business challenge? And that's, you know, my, my big thing, kind of what gets me excited is because, you know, you truly can revolutionise an entire industry with things which are not really that complicated to do. But, you know, again, if you can just apply technology in the right way, um, you know, as a consumer, that's the kind of service that I want to, to consume. Um, so, you know, I will always choose products as a consumer where they're, they're technology-based um, services because I don't want to be speaking to someone on the phone I don't want to be having to do all of these things I just want on my phone do whatever I need to do away you go and yeah that's what these companies need to try and do yeah I mean I, I have to say I admire Amazon for one reason they never ever dominate a market big enough to be broken up correct yeah so they've got their own airline fleet mm -hmm. but they're not as big as UPS or DHL correct they've They've got an e-commerce side, which we all know, but they're not as big as Walmart. Correct. And so it's... It's genius. It is. It's absolutely genius. They go right to the edge, but they always make sure there's a competitor who's in that space. So when anyone says from the DOJ, just the Department of Justice in America or whatever, you're a monopoly and we need to break you up, and they go, no. No, we're not. We're not. There's, there's guys over there and there's some over there. And look, we're in music and we're in films, but hey, there's this thing called Netflix and uh, Apple TV Plus and whatever. So, brilliant. Like you say, that the show has to end at some point because ultimately their customers will start to get increasingly upset about it. And, you know, they're potentially the ones that are going to force Amazon to, to think about potentially spinning off AWS as a separate thing. Yeah. So um, one of the things you talked about earlier, and I think that's... Um, 
it's been a problem for many years, data portability. Yes. Uh, and you talked about mixed clouds. Can you talk a little bit more about what the issue is around why people would want a mixed cloud solution or, or should they have a mixed cloud solution? So we talk about this concept that we call an operating model. So again, we were talking about earlier, I mean, what's, what is it that we really seek to do in life and what we seek to do is to allow organisations to take advantage of these public clouds and that's like a ridiculously simple thing to say it's a monumentally complex thing to actually deliver I mean, especially if you're talking about these these large enterprises because you know again they've got 15 to 20 years worth of existing process existing ways of thinking about things like service management you know how do I deal with change I mean, change is like the, the single biggest challenge because in a traditional world, you know, you would have change boards and you would have technical advisory boards and you'd have this huge amount of process which was built around doing what in the cloud world is something trivially simple. Like, you know, I want to release a new version of my application. You know, Amazon releases a new version of Amazon.com every 30 seconds. I mean, it's just like a total non-event. Really? Oh, yeah. It's I mean, I've noticed that Amazon.com or .co.uk has changed dramatically. I mean, the UI, the interface, the functionality, it's totally changed. And it does change, as I say, you know, every 30 seconds because they've got this you know, model where they can just continuously release new versions of code because they've got this amazing testing and this concept we refer to as DevOps. You know, how can you actually start to develop and release this code really, really quickly? So, you know, change is a, a non-event in the cloud world, whereas in the on-premises world, change is like a massive thing. It's like, you know, the world and his wife needs to know about this. Ambry as it hit the and button. Yeah. sign in blood, and yes, I'm prepared to accept responsibility for this thing going out. Um, and, you know, how do we change that mindset inside these enterprises? You know, how do we start to think about how they perceive IT projects? Because, again, IT project would be something where you know, the business would go to IT and say, we need this new thing creating, and IT would say, sure, no problem, send us a functional specification of exactly what it is that you want, and the business would go, oh, I'm not really sure what it is that I want, because this is all, like, new stuff, right? And um, like, wow me. And anyway, you just got into this this constant conflict and battle between the business and, and IT. Yeah. So, you know, Never what, the twain shall speak. They're like oil and water. Yeah. And it's like the 50-year war, agility versus control. <laughs> it's just, you know, they're paid to do their thing, business paid to their do their thing, and it just kind of doesn't work. So when we talk about, you know, really taking advantage of, of cloud, it's about, you know, how can we start to create what we refer to as this, this operating model, effectively, where we can start to get the business and the IT to work more effectively together? And that's where the real challenge comes, because we need to almost rip up the rule book in terms of the way that things used to be done before. And we now need to create this whole brand new operating model around the cloud, which is, you know, everything from, you know, someone in the business has an idea for something that they want to do through to we're actually going to build this thing through to we're actually going to deploy this thing and then we're actually going to let users use this thing. Uh, and that is, a, you know, a phenomenally complicated, intricate process. Um, so, you know, the, the, the real challenge is how do you start to build these operating models on top of the cloud in the right. United commas? Um, now, it's really, really simple if you're an analyst that's just paid there to sit and think all day, go, oh, sure, let's, let's run it across multiple clouds. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> we're just going to take our application and bit then we're going to look... A bit of redundancy built into the system, that's how you sell it. You know, if that cloud goes down, we've got another one over here. Exactly, and then we're going to have a look every day and, you know, if Amazon's a bit cheaper than Azure, we'll just move all our stuff to Amazon and then we'll move it all back at the end of the day to Azure. I mean, it's... Bless. I mean, it's a lovely idea. But actually, when you start 
start to get onto the ground into the reality of all of this stuff you know enterprises care about things like you know compliance and security how am i going to guarantee compliance and security across different clouds right now there's two ways that you can achieve this i can take like a third party thing that supports both clouds and i can you know describe all of these policies and all of these security controls and all of this fun stuff you know in this abstracted layer but the challenge is you're never really going to be able to take advantage of the capabilities of the underlying clouds because we've now introduced this layer of abstraction that sits across everything else um and the the customers that that we've worked with that have tried desperately to get this kind of multi-cloud model to work when push comes to shove when you know the rubber meets the road in terms of the actual service management the actual tooling the actual how are we actually going to do this yeah it's just phenomenally complicated now i should caveat that's on the infrastructure and platform level level um on the software as a service level so you know office 365 and workday and salesforce and you know choose as many clouds as you like i mean that kind of doesn't matter because they're they're SaaS applications you bring as many as you like but in terms of where do i deploy servers where do i deploy infrastructure unless you are you know an enormous enormous enterprise actually you're going to make your life exponentially simpler by picking one of the clouds now we're not saying necessarily you know that has to be azure i mean we think it is but um you know be that google be that aws just pick one and i mean interestingly this is something there's been a huge debate around you might have seen some of the commentary around the the jedi initiative in north america so the department of um, defense put out this 10 billion pound cloud services procurement and they stipulated in there that it had to be single cloud hmm. Now, Oracle went berserk about it and a few others and said, look, this is... Is that the one that Amazon won? Well, no, it's not been decided yet. Oh, okay. So... um, That was a big one that Amazon won. I think it was a Department of Defense one. uh, Yeah, I think they won the CIA one originally and then Microsoft just won the productivity um, procurement for for DOD and this is now the procurement for infrastructure and platform services. And, you know, they decided that it should go single cloud and I think there's a lot of merit to that argument because actually, you know, best to do one brilliantly than more than one in an average way. So as as a company, New Signature, you you wouldn't get into bed with, say, multiple cloud providers. You wouldn't become a solution provider across the board. You'll stay vertical to Microsoft. Correct. And again, we we take that it's same... It's okay, Jeff. He's staying with you. I don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we, we take the view that we'd rather be brilliant at one than, you know, try to do more than one. Um, it's hard enough, frankly, for us just to keep up with what Microsoft are doing, never mind what, you know, the other cloud providers are doing as well. Now, some of our customers are multi-cloud and, you know, they will bring in a solution provider for AWS, they'll bring in a solution provider for, for GCP, and, and that's fine. And, you know, our, our recommendation to those organisations is if, if you want to do multi Multi-cloud, that's okay, but you, you know, bear in mind you will need to build an operating model for each one of those clouds. You know, don't try and do some fancy schmancy. You know, I'm going to be able to dynamically move stuff around between clouds, and you know, it's right now is a pipe dream. You know, at some point in the future, we might be able to get to a point where we could start to do more of that, and that's where things like Kubernetes come in, where it does make it easier to move things around between clouds. But you know, right now, sitting here today, pick one and do it really well. Okay, so uh, I was going to say, who do you think will win the cloud war? Does it really matter who wins the cloud war? I mean, I'm sure you'd say it's Azure anyway, so <laughs> it wouldn't wouldn't matter. Um, but but given that from everything I read, and I'm not an expert like you in the cloud, but it feels like 
everything's pretty much baked now. You know, we've gone through a decade of growing the cloud and, you know, you've gone, as you said, you've done the infrastructure plays, you've got the application plays. Stuff that's coming along now is more like the, the Web 3.0 technologies, a bit of blockchain, a bit of AI. Um, and, and, you know, we're waiting for the good old 5G to turn up. I mean, Vodafone announced yesterday that the first UK 5G network will be turned on in July. Um, you've got, you know, 5G when it comes around, the amount of data that will be um, flying around will just go up by volume of 100 or more. Um I mean, I'm looking at, for example, um, BMW have announced a 5G capability in the car to make it a Wi-Fi hotspot. And, and eventually, to get to autonomous cars, we will need, like, LiDAR-type radar controls. And somebody was telling me it's like 10 terabits a second of data flying around on that thing, you know, just to make sure it doesn't crash into the thing in front. I mean, the amount of data that, as a, a species, we're going to be producing over the next decade is just mind-boggling we just can't even imagine the amount of data that we're going to be producing in 10 15 50 years time and again that's why you know this whole move to the the cloud is kind of interesting because you know it's all about how can we start to consolidate some of that data and most importantly how can we start to mine that data because that's where you know we're really going to see these these big advancements happening because you know we do it every day all around us we're you know we're processing phenomenal amounts of, of data you know subconsciously without even realizing you know how can we start to bring machines to bear to start to process some of that data for us and you know your autonomous cars all of that is all going to be around capturing yeah, that iot processing. at the edge all that i mean amazon just announced, launched in the u.s um uh, alexa guard yep uh, which is basically uh, a way that you you leave the house and you say to Alexa's, uh, I'm leaving, and all of the microphones go on, which will spook out a lot of people. Oh, wow. uh, and, uh, so what it's listening for is breaking glass or a door opening or something happening. So it becomes like a home alarm system. Wow. And it'll alert you instantly that it detects. So something really mad, Amazon went to like, thousands of different glass manufacturers to hear the glass sound because it's a sound only yeah yeah and, and to to differentiate between someone doing something that sounded like a glass and having a false positive um and actually having someone who's trying to break into your house using the glass and this whole you know privacy thing is another whole fascinating topic Scott and, McNeely know. said privacy's dead get over it it is yeah, I agree. You know, you, you, you can't have the best of both worlds. You can't have these intelligent machines that are able to, to help you unless you let them into your lives. And Exactly. Well, there was a, I mean, I mean, a couple of points there. So uh, AI, artificial intelligence, is a bad name. Machine learning, narrow AI, is probably a better thing. So it needs to be fed. It needs data. Otherwise, it's garbage in, garbage out. It won't work. Ergo Siri. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. I only use Siri to turn on... When I'm in the car, I use Siri to turn on my Amazon Music. Right, yeah. So I go, Siri, turn on Amazon Music, and then I use Alexa from my Amazon Music. You know, that's the only value I've got. I mean, I've got a laptop with Siri. I've never used it. It's just, I did it, you know, for the test. Hello, Siri. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, it works. Okay. Nah, can't see any reason. No, no, absolutely. But you 
go on. You, you, you need all of that data. You need all that. Again, one of Satcher's favourite little topics is you know this this idea of ambient intelligence. You know, how can we get data and intelligence from all over the place? You know, because you know we don't know the data that we need to make the decisions that we make because we just again do all of this stuff subconsciously. We can't write down what it is that we're doing. So the more data you can bring to bear, you know, the more chance of you finding that that insight buried within it that you perhaps wouldn't have been aware yeah. of. And, and machines are very good at sifting through volumes of data to find that. Um, I think uh, Amazon... Um, well, it's interesting. Amazon bought a chip manufacturer for the Alexas, so they're going to... Talking about that, where do you process? Their, the next generation, I think, is due out in a couple of weeks uh, of new Alexas, and they will have chips for local processing, for offline processing, so if the Wi-Fi's gone down... Um, Google are, are talking about that. They did a brilliant demo at I.O. You know, they did the duplex demo the year yep. before of mm-hmm. an AI ringing up a hairdresser. This year, they had one where literally it was booking meetings and booking restaurants and doing... And it could only do that because it had the data from your email and it had the data from your car booking and it had the other bits of data. So it can join the dots together, really. And I think that's, you know, this whole idea of this digital assistant is, you know, what's really fascinating and, and really interesting. Again, is allowing the machine to get to know you. Yeah. And, you know, what do you like to do? You know, how do you typically transport yourself around? You know, do you catch the train? Do you go by car? You know, where do you tend to like to meet people? Um, you know, starting to understand my calendar. So it knows that I'm in a particular place at a particular time. It knows I've been meaning to meet someone you know one of those emails you go, yeah we must meet up and you know you never get around to it so yeah, that's the one i kept sending you isn't it? <laughs> but you know what if the machines knew that you were going to be in the same location in a particular area and it knew that you might be free for a certain yeah. amount of time how could it start to make your life easier and start to constantly be making suggestions about how you can be more effective and how you can achieve more and that i think is really really interesting that digital assistant space yeah and i think the the, the other part of that is google did um, you know, bow its head down a little bit to the privacy in IO by saying that they are going to do most of the processing of that type of data, though, locally on the device um, to try to remove the up-down loop between data being up in the cloud and any data they were going to send up, would, they were going to try and anonymize and, and, and aggregate that way. And I think there's a perception of ownership as well. If it's data stored on a device in, in your house, you feel like you own that data. You don't. You don't, of course, but there's a perception that you feel <laughs> like perhaps you might. Yeah, that's like what what, what we call security theatre at airports. You know, you're going through a machine, it, you feel safe, you're taking your shoes off, they're ch- t- stopping you taking water, it looks good. But that's not how terrorists are going to do it, if they do it anyway. No, so, exactly. So, um, okay, so in the second half... We're fast coming up to the news. Um, in the second half, I really want to start to talk to you about where do you think this whole thing goes for? Because the cloud war, it just feels like they're going to get uh, an arms race, but they're all at the same level right now. So um, it'd be interesting to get your perspective on how this may evolve. Um, also, it'd be interesting to see how... I'd like to maybe talk about how somebody could get engaged with, you know, New Signature. What's the process that you guys go through? Um, and also, we've got a little bit of music. What's your track that we're going to have when we come back? I think there's a couple. One of them's a, a Moby track, I think, and a, a little youth track to uh, kick off the hour in style. OK, when we come back after the news, we'll play one of Dan's tracks. See you after the news.
This is Marlow FM 97.5. You're listening to Sam Steffi on Marlow FM. OMG. Who gave him a show? Indeed, who did? But thank you very much, whoever that was. Uh, welcome back. Uh, yes, you're listening to Sam Talks Technology. Uh, thank you for joining us today. I'm with a good friend of mine, Dan Scarf. How are you, Dan? Very well. I'm good. still alive. Yeah, and we've covered a lot. We've uh, we've been talking about the cloud wars, uh, but we're going to take a little musical interlude um, and play one of Dan's tracks. Dan, we're going to play the, the Youth featuring Dominique Young called Dance Me. What's this track about? Why does it? feel special for you i love this because this is a, a new track but you know throwback to the old school so some proper good vibes from when i was growing up kind of weaved into this track are you trying to tell me you're a little raver in your day well i had been known to rave once or twice <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I i have to say i did look through your facebook i'll talk to you offline about that picture of the, you and those four women i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> this is dance with me we'll see you in a few minutes To the dance floor, I get your head spinning. Rent, do, boo, now you talking about splitting. I be your number one, boy, I keep on winning. I'm young, you need to forget the other women. You wanna dance with me, boy, you better bring it. <laughs> boy, you better bring it.
Here we go, Dan. Thank Interesting. You. It was a bit of an eighties <laughs> vibe to that. There was, yes. Um, there's a track in my head, and I can't think of it right now. That that has that sort of electronic sound to the background to it. Yep. It came from the eighties. Anyway, we were. Let's get back to technology. Let's do that. Yeah, uh, we'll keep we'll keep those uh, Facebook stories that you just told me all quiet. <laughs> <laughs> what goes on Facebook stays That's stays on truth. Facebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Pri- not? Privacy is dead, as we said. <laughs> um, so, a little bit of um, blue sky thinking. You you wrote a book about the cloud and cloud operating systems. It seems everyone's written a book that I talk to. I, I really have to find time to write a book. It's one of those things where you wake up one morning and think, wouldn't it be a brilliant idea if we did? And then you actually have to write it, and then you live to rue that day that you ever came up with Ted Bright's idea. How long did it take you? Uh, I mean, it was evenings and, and weekends, and there was a, a number of us that, uh, that contributed towards it, so it's probably three to four months, something like okay. that. But and you, what was the topic of the book? So it's uh, <clears throat> some of the stuff we've been talking about today. You know, you know how do you create these, these cloud operating models how do we start to get business and IT to work more effectively together? And, you know, most importantly, how do we actually practically in reality actually do this stuff rather than just talking at a sort of abstract level? And, you know, we've been doing this for you know, a number of customers for, for a number of different years, and we thought it'd just be interesting just to actually start to write down some of our thoughts. It's amazing how writing a book forces you to actually start to apply some logic and structure to what can be kind of chaotic thoughts in your head sometimes uh, and, you know, describe it in a way that people can consume it and hopefully start to understand some of the concepts that you're talking about and ultimately how, again, we can start to use technology to, to build some of those bridges between different parts of these enterprises. So, um, when did you write the book? It launched last November. So oh, okay, about so it's six months recent. Ago. Yeah, okay. recent. Yeah, no, I, for some reason I thought it was a little bit earlier than that. Okay, that's. I was going to say, when's the next book out then? Well, we wrote. I wrote one ten years ago. So when Azure first came out, which was called "Thinking of Building Solutions on the Windows Azure Platform," as it was back. Catchy then. title. It was <laughs> a little trend uh, forming there. Uh, but interestingly, that book was mainly consisted of "No, you can't do this." No, you can't. Thinking of doing this? No, you can't. Thinking right. of doing this? No, you can't. Uh, so it's quite narrow in terms of the, the scope of that particular book. But again, interesting. Fast forward ten years, and it's now you can do whatever you like. And actually, here's a, a process and a thought process to apply to how you can start to take advantage of this technology. Okay, so you can get that on Amazon, yeah? You can, yes. Not on Azure. Not on Azure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, there's a bookshop powered by Azure somewhere that oh, you can sure probably buy on. Um, so, taking what you just said, um, 10 years ago, you couldn't do these things. 10 years forward, you can do these things. What can't you still do that 10 years from now we will be able to do? I think all of the the building block services are, are starting to form. You know, we talk about, you know, the, the, the challenges that we want to solve with IT. We talk about the products and services that these organizations want to start to create. You know, we have a lot of the requisite pieces there starting to, to form around those capabilities. Um, but, you know, we've got so far to go. I mean, AI, again, is the, the perfect example. I mean, every release of these new services, you know, is exponentially more powerful than the previous release. Um, and they will continue to get exponentially more powerful as we can start to address greater and greater data sets. Is Moore's Law now effective within the cloud still? Uh, it, it, you know, because there was a Moore's Law on chips which fundamentally hit a wall 
there was, but they then just went a different direction. So you can't miniaturize it anymore. So we'll yeah. just now multiplex it and you know have multiple instances of the, of this thing. I mean, yes, I think as a general concept, it probably will continue in that vein, and we will start to see you know the amount of compute power and the sophistication of the models that we can run continue to get better and better and better. And you know we can't even imagine what it will be capable of doing well we can because we can look at ourselves and say well one day a computer might be able to well, get that's to the point general ai i mean that's that's the belief that one day we will give computers consciousness and context yeah absolutely yeah and you know again it's, it's interesting you look back in in history and you look the you know the the progress that you made in a hundred years you know 500 years ago is the same as the progress that we're making in five years now yeah you know this rate of, of innovation and you know this drive towards the the singularity um oh. where you know Welcome, whatever that might yeah, be well yeah the singularity is when man and machine allegedly combine correct according to ray kurzweil uh 2050 is his current prediction yes he's moving it by 10 years conveniently yes yeah. um but i mean you know then you've got to say which overlord do you want to be part of you know and which cloud are you going to be part of you know are you going to be part of the google cloud the amazon cloud or whatever you know can't be part of all three or are we or are humans going to be a mixed cloud i think consumers probably will continue to be mixed clouds i mean you will have a, an a, affiliation to, to one and most of your digital world will probably live with one of those cloud providers but uh, i wonder actually consumers don't care i wouldn't know where netflix actually was resided on no you so, probably wouldn't care you know, no. I, I consume the film i don't care it got to me fast enough thank you very much job done yeah, absolutely. But I think people will start to become increasingly aware of this and, you know, start to understand what these organisations are doing with that data. I mean, Facebook is the, the textbook example right now of people that perhaps historically wouldn't really have, have cared, whereas now they they do care quite greatly. And, you know, they're starting to be a little bit more particular about, you know, who they give access to, to what data and, you know, what permissions they give with that data. And I think that's going to be a huge change over the coming decade as consumers start to be able to have that control of their data and what can be done with it well this thing goes on to quite nicely i mean if we're looking at a bit of futures tim berners lee obviously is is um berating the fact that his internet or his web is being broken up really you know you've got china doing its best to put up the chinese firewall you've got russia doing the same uh with the cold wall um the internet is splitting up and and being, you know, we talked earlier about data being, you called it very nicely, sovereign, being, you know, being brought to certain points. So we, we, we are we just, it, was it Tim Berners-Lee has this great vision and now the big enterprises and corporates are just bringing it back to enterprise and corporate world and, you know, building walled gardens around everything? It's sad, but it's true. The internet is becoming slightly less inter. Um, and, you know, again, the, the modern battles and wars between nation states are now going to be forged in, in cyberspace yeah, you know we saw yesterday or the, the day before around the, the whatsapp announcement and you know the firm that had, had cracked in into that you know that is the new front line of, of defense effectively is now you know your portion of the internet and making sure that you start to erect boundaries to protect yourself but you know unfortunately wherever there are boundaries and points of protection then that's going to impede the, the flow of data across those connection points and it's unfortunately just a natural part of, of humankind that 
well, hopefully we don't, but there is a, a high degree of danger that we do recess back into, you know, our own little area and uh, make it more difficult for data to flow around. Well, I mean, I guess this is this is where blockchain allegedly was going to come and help us, but I can't quite get my head around how it's going to do it. So the Web3, for want of a better word, was going to be a distributed, more like a peer-to-peer web. Yep. Um, think Napster for music, but Napster for data, Napster for information, you know, so smart contracts, sharing my information that I want with a certain provider, but me retaining control and managing it and having privacy and all those good things. So it sounds lovely, but from everything you've just described to me about all these clouds, they're all centralised and up in, in an aggregated way. So how do the two worlds coalesce, I guess? I mean, there are different levels that we're talking here. You know, we're talking a, a network level between different nation states. And, you know, can we put the Great Wall of wherever? China. Um, China, yeah. Russia, you know, pick a, another company yeah. where we're going to start to, you know, cut off network traffic between those different areas. But there are still constructs that we can put over the top of it, you know, like blockchain, for instance. You know, we, we might decide that actually blockchain should be freer and actually we should be able to have blockchain contracts that exist anywhere in the world and they would be permitted through the firewall so you can have different levels of of these things and different levels of protection and rules about what you can and can't do um i mean i I love blockchain it's got some great potential but you know to your point it's another one of these massively overhyped things and will it actually ever land i I don't know i saw i saw a, a couple of really interesting examples pepsi cola uh, ran an ad, came through and ran everything on a blockchain and came out with some insights. I mean, I don't quite see why it has to be a blockchain. It feels like it was using the blockchain for the sake of using the word. I mean, I know every VC probably has what we call buzzword bingo on it. Of you know, I've got AI, I've got... No, it's just code. No, it's not AI, it's just code. <laughs> uh, I've got blockchain. It's a database. Yep, well done. But you didn't need to use the blockchain for it. It's just a simple database would have done. Correct. And I think there are specific use cases where blockchain can be really, really interesting, but everyone's got to get behind it. It's like we've got to go through this standards process that says, you know, everyone understands what the standard of the internet is and everyone understands how to send data backwards and forwards between different uh, parts of the world. We don't have, you know, like these global blockchains other than for bitcoins and, you know, certain financial assets. We don't have a, a global insurance blockchain for instance where we can have uh, providers and uh, and clients you know all agreeing on a consistent way of creating these smart contracts and sharing risk out around the world so you know we almost do need to get to that web 3 where you know the, the new web is the blockchain and once everybody agrees on the particular blockchains that they're going to use that's when it starts to unlock potential but yeah i mean i think there'll be a lot of private blockchains which is going to be hosted on these cloud services correct that corporates will have um and that's probably where the innovation will be. I don't think it's going to be in the public uh, sphere. Um, no, it will be groups of companies that agree that we're going to use the blah blockchain to do our whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, like an insure tech industry or might agree on a standard. Correct. But again, it's those enterprises having access to those public cloud technologies to actually allow them to do it. So, you know, I'm an insurance company today. You know, I've got my legacy insurance products that I've used for the past 10, 15 years. You know, I'm now talking about completely 
not completely, but to a large extent, ripping that up and saying, actually, my my new system of record is now going to be this blockchain from InsureTech Inc. or whoever it is that runs this blockchain. Yeah. How can how can they do that? And you know, again, that's where this operating model comes in because we're now starting to say to organisations, you can now build these new platforms, you can build these new products, build these new services using these public cloud building blocks behind the scenes but unless you're lit up and enabled to use those services um, you're going to miss out on some of these new Web3 trends that are coming along because all your competitors are going to agree on the blockchain and crack on and do their thing and you're going to be left doing things the way you used to do it before Yeah, I, I, I I fully expect that there are going to be winners and losers, as you say, and big style, that there is going to be a sea change. Um, Moving moving the conversation on just a little bit, um, one company we haven't talked about and one area of the world we haven't talked about, and I'd like to just get your views on both. The first one is you mentioned early on about Alibaba being a big player in these hyperscalers. What is Alibaba doing? Is it just staying within its own sphere of China or is it is it branching out across the world? Will we see an Alibaba data center cloud infrastructure option available in England or North America? There already is one in England. Is there? They, they launched it a, a few months Did back. anyone tell us? No. Oh, there was an announcement, absolutely, but... Um yeah, they're really, really interesting. So, you know, Alibaba are the kind of the equivalent of Amazon in, in China. And, you know, they went on a very similar journey to Amazon, which is well, we need a whole bunch of servers to run our own website. Um, you know, maybe we should provide access to other people to use those same servers. So is that the same kind of idea and um they are the you know the, the number one provider in that that region, and again you see it in lots of different areas. You know, TikTok I saw was announced as the the number one new social network. You know, it's a, a Chinese well, it's, social network. It's and the it's the world's largest like, non-public um, company. Yes, it's terrifying frankly the the amount of, of, of power and innovation and, and control that exists the, the other side just of the world. for watching videos just for watching videos yes um, but you know that 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 is representative of, of this big shift and you know you have got these these eastern powerhouses and Alibaba is a hundred percent one of those coming in you know setting up shop here right in London and saying actually you know we think we're a credible alternative for you you know they've taken a slightly different approach they've taken more of the Oracle approach which is that we're going to pick out specific verticals we're going to pick out financial services we're going to pick out retail we're going to pick out a few different ones and we're going to create this entire end-to-end solution in that particular vertical and that's kind of what they have to do really because they can't just compete on a speeds and feeds basis with the the other hyperscalers because even if they're as good it's still not going to help them they have to to do something a bit different. Yeah, well, it's the, they'll go for, a, you know, what I call getting the toe in the door. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they'll try and leverage it open and see where it goes. So they're a you know, potential threat. I mean, we don't see them in any of our customers yet. We've not ever had a customer um, say that they've been speaking to them, but it's only a matter of time before they do. Um, you know, there are some of the other hyperscalers. I mean, Oracle is another kind of dark horse that may or, or may not get there. Um, you know, they've got a good story and, you know, they've got a whole bunch of software as a service capabilities that they're kind of bundling into their, their cloud world, which is fair enough. Uh, and they've got some increased, uh, some impressive revenue numbers off the back of that. 
Um, so they're definitely one to watch, but the, the brand is still slightly tinged in terms of the, the traditional operating models and the traditional way of uh, delivering IT and can they really jump that chasm into the new world? Um, and then, of course, there's IBM, you know, the, the sleeping giant and, you know, well, the, the placer of the largest bet in tech history uh, that we're about to see whether it was a, a good bet or not. The bet being what? Watson? The No, the acquisition of uh, Red Hat. Oh, the Linux acquisition, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, they have well and truly bet the shop on Red Hat. I mean, I can't remember what their market cap is right now, but, you know, Red Hat is a decent proportion of their entire company market cap, and they've gambled it on, on Red Hat. And but, but, but by buying a Linux distro, an operating system, what what will they perceive they're going to do? I mean, is, is Red Hat the, the, the market leader? Are they trying to become the next Microsoft with Windows? I mean... Well, the thing that Red Hat has got, which is their ace in the pack, is something called OpenShift, okay. which is their version of Kubernetes. So, again, you this whole multi-cloud story, you know, I'm going to take my application, I'm going to run it anywhere, except with you know, OpenShift, I can run it on-premises as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's a great story, um, but it's expensive, and, again, we only see the largest enterprises looking at OpenShift. But, you know, that's that's their pitch now is, you know, we're all about hybrid cloud. We, you know, we don't have a cloud necessarily of our own. We kind of do, but it's sort of a, a, not in the top tier. So, you know, let's focus all of our effort on... Um, yeah, when, you're, when you're not in the top tier, make up another market and then yeah. just say that's the best thing. Yeah. So, you know, they, they bet everything on... Hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, you know, pick a buzzword, whatever you, you want to call it, and it may or may not work out for them, but this is one of their last rolls of the dice. If uh, Red Hat and OpenShift doesn't work for them, then they're going to be left with just their traditional business, which is your kind of mainframes business, which is not going anywhere anytime soon, but it's not a super exciting high-growth area. No, I mean, the, the, the other business, because I interviewed Jeremy Waite recently, the uh, evangelist for... Uh, Watson yes. was their big AI play. That, that was their other area that they thought they might be able to. But fundamentally, I don't think they are. They, they haven't got a device that is consumer-focusing. Watson's a great brand, yes. but it's done nothing since. It's a bit like Siri. It's like it came out, got the attention of people. Okay, great. What are you going to do with it? Again, they have no ability to harvest data. And if we're saying that data is the difference between success and failure in, in AI, they have no mass market data collection appliances, yeah. to your point. They have no consumer devices. They have, they're going to struggle to generate that data to make Watson do what it needs to do. Whereas you look at Amazon, you look at Google, you look at Microsoft, you know, they're harvesting petabytes of data every month that they can use to make their AI better. So there was a couple of stories that I found um, interesting that relates to what you just said the first one is uh well cortana which is microsoft's uh voice assistant seems to have uh, again another technology that microsoft seems to either be pulling out of or failed within a bit like mobile they didn't they came late to it or they just didn't do it right i don't know what it is um because they put alexa into the operating system now natively and then in business insider yesterday i was reading and i've it, it's my big bet I, anyone i've bored them to tears with this bet is that amazon will launch a phone because they need that data yeah i mean they have one shot already, of course, that didn't work out particularly yep. brilliantly for them. Not even Amazon gets everything right. No, the um, Amazon Fire, as it was called. Yes, 3D something or other. Well, the new one I, I'm predicting is going to be called Amazon Phoenix. 
Nice. Rising nice. from the fire. Uh, yeah. Would not surprise me in the slightest <laughs> if they, they didn't do that. Um, Cortana, it's now kind of morphed slightly into this, you know, aggregator of, you know, intelligence from different areas. Um, so we can now connect Cortana to all of your, your different things. You know, Alexa is just one of the things that can help Cortana to do what it, it needs to do. But it's a, a, a slightly grander construct. So it's trying now. to go for a meta layer. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the the thing that struck me about the the Amazon announcement was that they they might they they haven't got a phone manufacturer and the, the, the rumor in Business Insider was that they were going to go back to Microsoft for the Windows Phone. Interesting. And use the Windows Phone well. with a Fire OS, which is basically an Android derivative, as the operating system, not mobile Windows Mobile, mm-hmm. and then natively have Alexa on it, and then. Um, the key differentiator would be that they were going to use the 100 million prime users as their market distributing. So they would say something like, I don't know, uh, the Apple iPhone, you mentioned it earlier, is £1,000. People aren't upgrading because it's just a stupid number and the, 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 the functionality hasn't increased significantly to justify it. But Amazon might ship these out for a couple hundred quid if you're a prime user. Same function. It's the Echo model all over again. It'd yep. be genius to see someone, or really interesting to see someone try that in the phone space where I can subsidise the hardware. I'm not interested in making any money on the hardware. It's, you know, the data that I can harvest from it and the services that I can deliver to you through it. Well, talking of giving it away, uh, Google announced with the Spotify family account you can get Google Home... Uh, no, yeah, Google Home for free. Yep. And yesterday, Amazon announced that with a, if you upgrade to Amazon family, you get your Echo for 99p. Yep, correct. Great. Practically free. They're giving away Google Homes with the new Pixel phones. I mean, again, it's just this land grab for devices proximate to the users and, and owning those, uh, which is is the cloud wars. You know, who's going to own the devices? Who's going to own the, the back end? Well, yes, that's the big fight. Um, it's not just the cloud fight, is it? No, absolutely. It's uh, across business, across consumer. It is the, the battle of our lifetime that we are <laughs> witnessing. Not that most people are, are completely oblivious to it and you know don't necessarily understand the, the wars that are raging behind them. But, you know, there will be uh, a small number of winners in this new space. And, you know, the big tech firms are all vying to make sure that they're at least one of those winners, if not the winner. Yeah, I mean, the, the company that we didn't talk about, and it's the other part of the question, was Facebook. Yes. 100% at the moment, consumer-focused. You know, they have somewhat of a play in the business space. So, you know, Facebook for Work is their productivity and collaboration offer. Um, interestingly, you know, a similar model where, you know, we'll practically give it away for free. It's a dollar a user a month or something. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they want to start a conversation with those businesses. You know, they want to start to understand how people are working together. It's a, you know, a pure data play for them. But they're now having to be really, really careful because, you know, enterprises are a lot more clued up than consumers. And, you know, they can't just harvest what they want at, at will from, from the enterprise space. So The enterprise wouldn't touch Facebook anyway. They've got workplace for Facebook, no one's using it. Oh, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, there's a lot of big companies that are starting to use it, so it's... Really? Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, they've got some 
big big case studies of people that are, but it is a, a point solution. And again, the thing that I quite like about Microsoft is the, the breadth and depth of the capability. It's not just messaging, it's messaging plus a thousand and one other things. Um, Slack's another great example of that. You know, it's brilliant at one particular thing, um, but you look across the complete ecosystem of products, tools and services that employees and customers want to use, and it's just it's one thing. So do you go with that best of breed for that one thing, or do you buy into an ecosystem and buy into a dream and buy into a belief that one technology partner can help you along every step of that way? Dan, we've run out of time. Oh, I was just getting warmed up. <laughs> um, I'll have a word with Dave next door. No, um, uh, thank you very much for coming in. That's been fascinating. Thank you, thank for you very much. Me. The track we're playing in the background was what? Moby, God moving over the face of the water. I love this tune because it just builds and builds. <laughs> Uh, Well, we're going to have to cut it short because I'm going over to Dave in the studio. Dan, it's been a pleasure. Take care. See you soon. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.